Good morning, day or night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Surviving to Drive podcast. Today we are discussing the Belgian Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. It's a pretty eventful race there, Alex. What would you think? I thought it was a, a great race in Belgium this weekend. Um, I thought, you know, right from the first lap, we had all that drama in the first lap, obviously, and I think through the rest of the race, we saw a lot of passes um, on the long straights and a lot of good racing even through some of the turns and stuff too and in the bus stop and all that. And I think strategy played a big role this weekend too. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a one-stop and we saw pretty much everyone do a two-stop and some teams even debate doing a three-stop. So I thought it was a very eventful race. Yeah, it was obviously great to see an actual race happen this year. Last year obviously got rained out and uh, didn't get to see some racing, so felt bad for the fans that were there. But luckily a really good race this week. Um, a lot of overtakes, like you said. Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this in our last podcast, the feature podcast, about the first half of the season. We've seen a lot of higher degradation tracks, and I think this one kind of came right in with that and uh, made the softs pretty difficult to use, and uh, we saw that with a couple of cars. But overall, a really good race, a lot of overtakes, a lot of action, and uh, some good championship implications from this weekend. Yeah, for sure. So why don't we run through the finishing order first of the weekend? Uh, so obviously we had Max win the race coming all the way back from starting in 15th. So that was pretty impressive, but obviously, had, yeah, obviously. And then we had, uh, Perez signs rounding out the podium, uh, Russell in fourth, uh, after the penalty on track, it was Charles in fifth, but Alonzo finished in fifth after he got the penalty in the pit lane, Charles in sixth, Ocon seventh, Vettel in eighth, Gas with a great recovery drive in a ninth, Albon getting points in the Williams this weekend in 10th. And then you had Stroll, Norris. Sonoda and Zoe, they were kind of right in the heels of the points uh, for pretty much the second half of the race. And then we had Danny Rick in 15th, Magnuson in 16th, 17th was Mick, and 18th is our favorite driver, Latifi. And then we had two DNFs this week. We had Hamilton and Bottas both go out on the first lap after both different incidents, actually. We had Hamilton turn in on Alonso and Bottas get taken out by uh, the torpedo Latifi. Yeah, I mean, definitely a very chaotic first lap I think in terms of the Lewis one it was definitely his fault uh, I know he came yeah. out after the race and said he was just Alonso was in this blind spot and he just didn't see him at all which I would tend to think to be the case I, I I don't Lewis never struck me as a person that would like intentionally turn in on somebody and like ruin his own race I don't think he would have hit him on purpose or like no it know. seemed yeah I mean he was just trying to claim the racing line and I think yeah you know he probably thought he had Alonso there after that long straight and uh, went for the turn in obviously didn't didn't really go to his liking but uh, luckily for Alonzo he was able to carry on and Hamilton caught the worst of that one which you know played itself out just a racing incident there yeah for sure I think it is uh it is always funny though that I feel like Alonzo has been that guy that's been in, whether it's his own a lot of times his own teammate but this yeah. year it feels like he's been involved with like a lot of drama with people at the front when like he sh- shouldn't be up there really on like on race pace and it's yeah. because he qualifies so good always uh, which is always funny to see, you know, I always call him Trollanto, but even him, like, obviously it was Hamilton's fault today, but, like, even him being up there and, like, just interfering with, like, the drivers that are, like, the three teams fighting at the front is always funny. Yeah. Um, And then the Bottas one, I mean, that's, there's nothing he could do there to, to take avoiding action because of Latifi just spinning. I don't really know what happened there. It was a, it was a tough incident. We saw Latifi going on with Ocon and uh, taking the, the outside line and then getting pushed Maybe a little bit, but 
he went almost all four tires onto the gravel there and that kind of pitched him sideways and so he went streaking across the track and um, Ocon luckily slipped out there it was really close from him um, but he was lucky to get away with no damage and then um, Latifi just kind of collected Bottas threw him into another gravel pit and he got beached so ended his race there which was unfortunate would have been good to see what he could have done from 14th on the grid with a mixed up order who knows yeah I mean I think anything could have happened we saw Joe starting in the back I think he started in 19th and then kind of make his way up to the edge of the point so Bias being in 14th he probably would have had the pace to me in the points but um, I guess before we get into the rest of the race just a quick recap of quality here so uh, a couple of key points I think you know we had kind of a weird quality because everyone had those six drivers with engine penalties to start yeah and they all knew that so um, typically when this would happen you would think and in most of the teams did this, the person who's going to have the penalty would be helpful towards the other driver to try to bring them up the grid. So we saw, you know, in the case of the McLarens, we saw Norris try to tow Ricardo. Ricardo, obviously that didn't work, and Norris still got into Q3, even though he was towing Ricardo, and Ricardo didn't get into Q3, which was kind of funny. But yeah. uh, And then we saw the Ferraris do it too, where Charles, you know, kind of tried to help Sainz get a tow there at the end. And um, the one team we didn't see it with, though, which I don't think either of us were surprised with. Not at all was Red Bull. So for those of you that did not watch qualifying, Max did one lap. It was an unbelievable lap. I'll give him total credit. It was the best lap of the weekend, probably. And uh, he, he got a toe from Perez. And got a toe from Perez. And so, you know, then you would think, oh, reciprocate that back. Like Max isn't, regardless, Max is going to start. He had put it in front of Leclerc at that point. So he was going to start, you know, 15th or whatever, regardless. Yeah. So why not have him toe? Checo, no. Max just drives into the pit lane, gets out of his car, and calls it a day with like eight minutes left. And throws on a hat. In Q3, throws a hat on, and Checo's just out there by himself. Kicks his feet up. Yeah. It was a, a, a very Red Bull moment, it felt like. Obviously, a driver won, and they're not going to do anything to risk that. And um, it just seemed like they threw Checo out there, leave him for, you know, dead. And obviously, wasn't able to come with a better lap on that, on that second lap, his second attempt in Q3. But uh, just an interesting kind of point to see we saw like you were saying obviously like all of the other teams uh their second drivers or penalized drivers were helping out their their other teammates and uh it was a, a really interesting quality you know the penalties normally you get a penalty and that driver will sit out qualifying entirely or maybe go get a couple of reconnaissance laps in just yeah. to get some data but with so many drivers getting penalties and similar penalties they they actually went out and raced each other because they can instead of getting penalized and going back to 20th they're now going getting penalized and if they're out qualifying somebody else who's getting the same penalty then they'll start you know 18th 16th and max ended yeah. up on 15th there because of his technical first place in qualifying yeah yeah so definitely for those that didn't watch also we had mick or mick zoe norris ocon charles and max and Bottas. All seven of those drivers, I believe, had penalties. And Sonoda was overnight going into the yes. race. And then Gasly at was... the start of the race. So, uh, been very tough. We'll hit on this later. Been a tough race start for AlphaTauri this year. I feel like they've had a lot of pit lane starts, but um, we'll kind of get into that later. So, going back to the kind of the beginning of the race, uh, we saw that incident with Alonso and Hamilton. And then right after that, the Bottas and uh, Latifi incident in the same lap. Um, I thought Hamilton was going to keep driving. He did for a while and actually stuck ahead of Alonso after that. Yeah. Um, but then I think there was damage to basically his engine, and it was something was coming out of it. Something was leaking from it, and then they couldn't finish it. So 
Uh, he had to pull off to the side of the road, safety car right away on the first lap, um, which brought everyone together, which was, uh, you know, not great for signs who got it. They had him on the sauce, which was a little weird to start, but he had an awesome start. I mean, he put a big gap yeah. right away at the beginning, but yeah, he gave me kind of George Russell vibes on that, on that safety car restart. He, came around the bus stop and went a little deep. And then instead of going through it on a normal line, he took it out even wider, which slowed down the rest of the field on the normal line. And then he got a longer run out of that last corner. Yeah. And it really worked out for him. It ended up putting Perez back a little bit and even under pressure from George a little bit. Obviously, George didn't have the straight line speed, but yeah. kind of backed up the rest of the field and, and gave him a little bit of a, a head start. Yeah, I think it was definitely a get a little bit of chaos there at the beginning, but then we still saw signs at the actual race start and the safety car restart pull away mm-hmm. up front. Uh, and then we saw, you know, in terms of other people at the start, you know, Checo, the initial race start very slow. Um, yeah. He really struggled there with, with Ham- Hamilton, uh, Alonzo and Russell all getting by him at the beginning, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also at the race start, we had Max get a great get a great start in ter- opposite of Perez. I think he got up from fifteenth like all the way to tenth within the first like before he was even in a rouge. Yeah. And then by the end of the first lap, he was already in eighth. Yep. And I think I texted you right then. I was like, Yeah, this one's this one's over. In like, the bag. Yeah. So it's in the bag here. But it was it was very impressive for him to be in that mix in that part of the field and stay out of all the drama because it felt like there were beyond the two incidents that you know, ended in DNFs, it felt like there was still a lot of very close, for sure, if not contact being pushed off the off the race line off the track almost. And with the new gravel traps this year, it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for more DNFs and more beached drivers, but Max was able to get through and um, obviously went on to have a really great race. Yeah, I mean, we, he almost had I know he was close to when Stroll and Vettel kind of got mixed up there, mm-hmm. going through, uh, I think turn five and six, Max was close to being into contact with them but he was able to sneak through yeah i was actually really impressed with stroll in that moment he yeah. you know obviously not impressed that he lost a little bit of control he did get pushed into the gravel it seemed like but yeah it, it was similar to latifi's incident where he dropped a couple tires into that gravel but he managed to hold on and when he got back onto the track keep it on the right side of the track instead of i mean if he lost control at all it would have been him and max a little bottas bowling action kind of thing the way he was coming back across the track so uh good for him and you know obviously worked out for max yeah and then going down the rest of the order uh you know we had albon starting in p6 after qualifying which is awesome to see he was excellent in qualifying yeah obviously the grid penalties helped some but he was legitimately in p like he was in the top 10 on pure pace and qualifying on merit uh started p6 and latifi started p11 so potential for double point double points for williams pretty early on here uh, but both of them got to a really p- poor start. I know. I think uh, Albon fell back to tenth, and Latifi just at uh, classic Latifi just fell into oblivion, and you know had to spin, and then was in last place and had to pit for a new wing, and that was race over him. So, uh, but it was good to see Albon. I think the rest of the race kind of battle back, and they had a good strategy for him at least, and he was able to. Yes, he kind of got in a DRS trade and kind of you know just held everyone up but he held 10th place the rest of the way and it was almost expected going into the race that he would be the the DRS train and the kind of the plug and the rest of the points because their car was so fast in a straight line and that's you know really all you need around the track is you're gonna have it it was slippery it it was slippery we'll (laughs) get into that one a little later but yeah it was I mean going down that front straight and through a rouge and radion it was just uncatchable and 
you know, we saw that throughout the race, especially at the end there when he was holding up, you know, five, six cars that were trying to sneak into those points. But yeah, pretty good weekend from them. You know, we look back to last last year and George qualifying P2. So yeah, maybe there's something to be said about Williams over at Spa. Yeah, I think it's just really impressive what Alvin has done. I know he only has four points on the year now, but for him to even have three point finishes and one of them was ninth, I guess. But yeah, and for him to have three point finishes in that Williams, which is just so much worse than every other car on the grid for most of the season and like it's just a classic Williams car where it's just like in quality they're off by like a second for anybody else like yeah for him to even put up there and a lot of the times even when he's not putting the points like be kind of on the cusp or on the edge is for his first you know for being back in Formula 1 now and stuff I feel like they have a good foundation in him and if they can get a second driver that can get them points here and there and they can start to get get that put together they could be yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, you think back to when Claire Williams was over there, and it was they they were engineering the car to be kind of an all-around car. They were kind of just in a downward spiral since, you know, Bottas and Stroll were winning races for them, and, or podiums at least. Uh, you think back to then, and then when Jos Capito came in and took over, he and the team kind of came out and said, we're going to build a car that's going to be really good at some circuits and really bad at other circuits. Yeah. And that's really been, you know, kind of spot on for the last two years. They'll yeah. get points and be pretty competitive, uh, you know, at least the first driver will be pretty competitive at some weekends. And then, yeah, like you said, other weekends, they're just absolutely nowhere. And, you know, part of that is Latifi and part of it's, you know, the other, the first driver yeah. out driving the car. But um, it's been an interesting kind of, yo-yo season for yeah. them for track to track i think it's worked though. i think it's a like for a team that's not fighting for championships or fighting for wins or even podiums yeah making a car that okay you know rather than just like making this all-around car that like will be maybe 14th 15th best car at or like driver wise at mm-hmm. at a track why not make one where we could get points at a couple tracks and then just suck it up to the ones that we're not going to be good at because like then you can at least score some and have the excitement of having the opportunity to score. So I think, you know, Yost has brought like a different energy to the team too. And yeah. like, it's just, there's a different vibe around the team. I know there's been chatter of them being sold or what direction they might move in the future, but I think it's, they're on a better path than they have in the last three or four years. Cause like you said, they were not winning races, but with Bottas and, and, you know, stroll mostly Bottas in, in 14, 15 and 16, like he was putting them on the podium a lot and, yeah. I mean, I think he finished, I think I saw it the other day, like in 2015 or 2014, I think Bottas finished like P4 or P5, like in the, in the driver's championship at Williams, which yeah. is like very impressive. So they've kind of been downhill since then, but I think they've starting to take steps in the right direction. Yeah. And a lot of hope. I, I know there was a lot of hope in the off season that all the, you know, new regulations all the time that they're getting in the wind tunnel would pay off. Um, unfortunately, it, it didn't seem to work out for this year, but yeah. You know, even going forward, hopefully hopefully having that mindset and having that extra time in the wind tunnel and uh, those extra things that you get by being the worst team on the grid at the moment uh, will we'll start to pay off for them. Yeah, so going into the rest of the race, after kind of the chaos kind of died down after those first couple laps and uh, we saw that all get sorted out and kind of some DRS train started, I think tire strategy and tire deg really played a role in the rest of the race. So mm-hmm. I know coming in, it was, it was surprising to me when they – you know, when F1 TV, and I, I'm assuming ESPN does it too, where they pop up, like, oh, here's the expected strategy, and, like, soft to medium or medium to soft, like, one stop was yeah. expected, um, which was really surprising because, like, that's, you know, the softest tires to try to get to 
I was I was a little confused because you know they were talking about all this in the pre-race show and you're thinking about it obviously it's a lot warmer than it has been the softs were a decent you know a decent tire in qualifying and throughout practice but with it this hot and trying to go for a one-stop strategy it just seemed intuitive that a soft tire would not really be the way to go and then you know we pull up and you see carlos signs pull on hard tires and you think oh ferrari's back at it again yeah and you know it kind of was he wasn't able to use them very well but you see the likes of max and obviously he had you know two seconds per lap almost it seemed like on everybody else and he was able to really take advantage of those soft tires and and make it work but yeah pretty much two stop for everybody and uh, i think everybody did yeah i think everyone two stop i think we even saw like what really did it for me is when we saw like even when they put the people that were on the mediums that started and did like you know 20 20 laps or so mm-hmm. and then it's a 44 lap race only yeah they or i guess even less that probably like 15 laps they put the hearts on and like most of them didn't go more than 15 16 laps in the hearts even before uh-huh. like they had to switch to another hard or another medium to finish the race so i definitely think the deg was way higher than they expected i think all the teams because we didn't even see like the potential for like oh like maybe like an alpine or someone to do like a bold strategy where they tried the one stop like it wasn't even mm-hmm. debatable like everyone just came in for two yeah it was another one of those weekends where we get rain throughout the weekend and kind of cleans up the track get a semi-green track obviously we had running a little bit yesterday and and you know more today but yeah uh yeah high deg came out quick and uh saw a lot of graining and a lot yeah. of different tra- tire yeah, and I think that the temperature was just so much warmer today because I know most of if not all the support series were here this weekend I'm pretty sure yeah and so that would have laid down quite a bit of rubber this morning and yeah for them to still have that high a day you know and they were talking about it on the broadcast like how much warmer it actually was and mm-hmm. you could see it visually like in the crowd I like in qualifying yesterday like a lot of people had like hoodies and stuff like that on today like it looked like it was like legitimately hot out yeah. there so I think that definitely played a big role in like the tire deg and like the strategies teams use. And then we saw a lot of mixes in terms of what people like, what routes we want for the two stop. Mm-hmm. So I do think, uh, it, it worked for some, it didn't work for others. And obviously like, like Albon, I think it worked great for, because you even had stroll. I think every time stroll was behind him, he was on a theoretically a quicker tire yeah. and couldn't get past him. Yeah. He took advantage of a pretty good strategy and worked out. Um, another individual that that had a really good race obviously was max and we mentioned you know having such pace on the other cars throughout the entire weekend really it seemed like he was cheating and almost a common theme now because it looks like it but yeah uh, i guess that takes us into our top drivers of the weekend and i know you have max as one of yours yeah i mean i think he drove great all week and i do think it is like it and we've talked about this and i've talked about this other people too it's like it was surprising today how much quicker he was than everybody else, even Perez. So yeah. I know you had them in this, like obviously all season Max has been a little bit more on it than Perez, but the gap between them this whole weekend and even in the race is like, it almost seemed like they were driving different cars. And um, I, you know, I have Max on my top drivers cause like he had that awesome call lap. He led every session basically all weekend and just dominated from start to finish, yeah. you know, going P15 to P1 within like 11 laps or whatever and dominating the race. But it is interesting. I think like I would. I'm interested to know like what up like what upgrades did they bring this weekend to like get that gap because I feel like they were pretty even if not a little below Ferrari, and then you come back from the summer break and they look like their car is just. I mean they were like six seven tenths faster at least than the Ferrari. Yeah, and even I mean we saw it on the last 
couple of laps there going for the fastest lap we saw a six tenth difference and it is just crazy to see that on a consistent basis too it's not like yeah like obviously i think this track like exaggerated that because of the straight line speed and uh he was able to take advantage of just the longer straights on the track but it seemed like he was making overtaking spots where no other car would even think about it because he was so much faster and it's it, it makes it so obvious that he's absolutely wiping the floor with the rest of the grid yeah i mean he's you know just almost 100 points clear of uh leclerc now and he's well clear of perez in second we obviously know that that's you know with team orders and everything there's not gonna be a chance of that even happening but yeah he looked awesome this weekend definitely you know probably the top driver overall this weekend but that seems to be a consistent theme but yeah they if they if that car really is there and it's not just a track specific thing like if the red bull is really there, i mean he could win every single race the rest of the season yeah um for my uh, other two drivers, for the second one, I had Gasly. Um, actually, you know, didn't have a bad qualifying, just average qualifying because of grid penalties, got moved up to eighth. Um, obviously, Alfa Torre, as we talked about, just been so bad at race starts this year where they can't even get the car on the grid usually. So him and Sonoda started from the pit lane. Uh, but Gasly starting from the pit lane to finish in P9, yeah. I think was very impressive because they don't have a great car. So for him to, you know, go last to into the points – in that car was super impressive and he looked good all day. He was fighting with Vettel and could have gotten an eighth, even if the, the tires kind of died off at the end, but he had good pace all day and good tire management and just a great weekend from him. Yeah. He did have a, you know, coming from the pit lane, obviously he's sitting there with Sonoda and was able eventually to take advantage of a lot of the, um, you know, incidents that went on ahead of them. But it was interesting to see kind of them two fighting. I think they came out, Sonoda was in front of him and then, Gasly got in front and then Sonoda overtook him and then that kind of hampered his start a little bit but yeah really good to see him just kind of a consistent race it didn't seem like he had any like super stints but he was just like a really consistently putting in good laps and and getting some overtakes and yeah ending up in p9 is really good for them I don't think we were expecting really points from them because of kind of the trend of their car has been not so great. Yeah, I mean, it's their first point since he got, I think, like a P5 in Baku. So, Baku, yeah. so first time since, you know, the beginning of June, basically, that they've scored any points. So it's a good weekend for him. And then the other driver I had was Albon. I mean, again, like we talked about, you know, being in the Williams, scoring any points is going to be – it's going to make it in our top drivers for the weekend, I feel like. And yeah, he earned it in qualifying. It wasn't like a fluke that he started P6. Obviously, the – it where in the top 10 was going to be a fluke, but he earned the top 10 on merit and, mm-hmm. um, you know, held his own in the race and had a little bit of a rough start, but got back in position, made some moves, and then had good defensive driving there uh, in the DRS training, kept everyone off for most of the race and got, got a point there at the end. Yeah, and, you know, even before qualifying, when I was thinking about, you know, pre-quality predictions, I was thinking, oh, you know, Albin's going to go top 10, Q3. And I was thinking that, you know, there's so many – uh, penalties that he's got to be able to sneak his way in there but then you think about the fact that they're fighting for themselves and how easy is it for a ferrari for a for another red bull to just pop it into q3 you know it's it's like clockwork so you know i thought that was very impressive that he was able to kind of pip the last couple of people on there it was uh, a really good last lap from him and uh, able to put it up into q3 so very impressive weekend from him and uh, yeah, I agree with that as a pick for one of your top drivers. And then for my three drivers, I went for Vettel, Ocon, and George Russell. And I'll start with George. Obviously, 
you know, the consistency is just out of this world. I don't know if there's been as consistent of a driver uh, since I've been watching at least, you know, obviously yeah, that, long before that, that too, chart you sent me that had, that showed it. I didn't realize, I guess I just didn't realize it cause he had the one DNF at Silverstone, but he's only finished P3, P4, P5 the entire season. Yeah. Except for the DNF at Silverstone, which where he probably would have, because the pace America had finished P3, P4, P5. And that's in so, that Mercedes puts them at a five, six spot. And, the fact yeah. that he's able to just continually capitalize on the mistakes of the team in front of them is is very impressive. And then, you know, when all four of them are finishing in front, he's still finishing in front of Hamilton if that's, you know, the battle yeah. that he's in. So just another good weekend from him. Unfortunately, the car wasn't as pacey as we would have liked to see. Um, but, you know, can't be mad about uh, a solid finish there. And then we go into Ocon, and, you know, Ocon had some great overtakes. I think he had a double overtake into the bus stop chicane at the end of the lap and uh just a really good drive all around from him yeah the you know even the the highlight of him swerving around latifi as latifi was absolutely blowing up into the midfield yeah was just a just really impressive piece of driving there and obviously able to come home in seventh and bring home some good good points for the team and then lastly with sebastian vettel obviously we had his retirement announced for the last race and came into this weekend after a good break and was really able to capitalize on the penalties we saw you know stroll struggle a little bit in the beginning but Vettel was able to capitalize he was running up in I think sixth for a little bit fifth even fifth even yeah and you know was able to kind of pull that one home in eighth after getting passed by eventually by Max and um, Charles so really good races from the six of those guys that we we went through and uh, really good to see them kind of succeeding this weekend yeah I, I totally agree I think Vettel great choice I think he once again outperformed that Aston Martin yeah they've been so inconsistent and so bad in qualifying and mm-hmm. you know they started the race a little higher today in ninth and tenth because of all the penalties and Vettel was able to capitalize on that and I know Stroll was in 11th so he wasn't far off either um, but they looked they had just had another great weekend how many weekends in a row has it been that at the end of Q1 Vettel's team or radio yes, comes yes. on and they're like, "Yeah, we're 16th. Sorry, we didn't make it." Yeah, and, and it's then, always like like this weekend it was by two thousands. It's always some tiny thing, yeah. and then he always has the same response every single yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny every time because they always come on, and you'd think he would like get used to it. You'd think he'd be like, "All right, we're, if, if you're 16th that much," but he always acts like he's so shocked that he's out and he's so close to 16th. it. I mean, yeah. to be fair, he's putting in decent laps, yeah. but. Yeah, unable to to really yeah get over that hump uh, often. Yeah, often. and then I would say for yeah for Ocon besides Max, you know, going from fifteenth to first, like I don't think there was anybody that was as racy on the track today as Ocon was. Like yeah, he had so many overtakes. He looked quick. He just looked very good, and it was huge for him. Uh, and we'll kind of get into this now with our team highlights for him and Alpine. You know, having a five seven finish. You know, Ocon. I guess it was minimal, and we kind of talked about this in our last episode, but. Made up, I think, whatever it is, four, six points on Norris. So yeah. kind of closed the gap there. Still double digits, but closed it a little. And then in terms of Alpine as a team, great weekend for them. 16 points this weekend and increasing that gap to 20 points down to McLaren for like the battle of the best of the rest. So. Yeah, and the other thing to point out is the craziness of a of a break, summer break that that team had. And, you know, good for, for them sure. for, for being able to come back and get some really good points uh, on, a, on a race weekend where – all of the talk was around the off-track drama with yeah. them. So 
you know, good to see them put in a really racy performance and uh, obviously another straight line speed track, and they really took advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. And then the other team we had on here for Team Highlights, obviously, again, this is kind of one of those redundant things we could say every weekend is is Red Bull. A 1-2 finish, maximum points here, so 1-2 finish and fastest lap for Max, so 44 points in the weekend. Uh, just dominant. The car looked dominant all weekend. They look like – I mean, they're running away with both championships, but it looks like they're going to run away with both of them. Um, with and, a few races. With a few spare. races to spare. And as Max keeps winning these, I know he's at nine wins now this year, and we kind of touched on it last episode too. Like, I really do think, unless something dramatically changes or the Merc can pick up pace, I don't see how he doesn't break the single-season win record for a driver, and I don't see how he doesn't break the points record for a driver, and then Red Bull doesn't break a points record for the team. So I know we kind of looked at it, and I think, you know, in terms of Max breaking the points record, I think that's definitely on the table. We figured out he's averaging a little over 20 points around basically this year, and with eight rounds left, he'd finish with 446 points if he keeps that trend up, which I think he probably will based on their car. And the record for points was Lewis Hamilton in 2019 with 413 points, so he'd kind of smashed it out of the water. Um, obviously, one extra race this year, so if you take out 25 from that, it's pretty much on par. So if you if you if he ends with 446 and you take out one win, that brings him down to 421. That would be basically the same season Lewis had in 2019 with the same number of races. But, you know, the record books don't – it doesn't matter how many races. Like, it's just going to be the most points. And then in terms of the drivers, they're averaging a little – close to 34 points a weekend. So that will put them at 746 at the end of the season, which would be second all time. Uh, number one is Mercedes in 2016, which had 765 points, which is – I mean, we were just talking about it. Absolutely insane to have – you know, 37 points scored a weekend is basically a 1-2. Yeah. every weekend and they won i think 19 out of 21 races so yeah. Yeah. i don't know if that'll ever be touched but they're that and then the wins record too you know you have vettel and schumacher both had 13 in a season um max is at nine already with eight races left so he just has to win five of the eight which is very possible so they could break you know three of the bigger records this year yeah and even at 746 of you know what we calculated out to be based on their average that's taking into account the three four dnfs that they have as yeah. a team so far so i think that one's very much in in contention for them to take and you know with the recent form that max and the red bull team in general have been on and the downward spiral that ferrari seems to be going through i think you know very much on lock for at least one or two of those yeah for sure so we're gonna have a new segment starting this week and going forward it's gonna be you know we already have obviously the nicholas atifi segment although it's not really like it's stuck in segment because we just kind of discussed how he did in the weekend but we're gonna have a Latifi performance of the week for both team and driver going forward every week so this week's Latifi performance of the week for driver is Nicholas Latifi what a way to start and then our team of the week for this is going to be Ferrari so I think that'll probably be a common theme for both the driver and the team going forward but uh Latifi not really much discussed there had the thing at, in lap one that we went off and then just no pace at all Finishing a lap down, finishing 18th, last of the finishers, classic. Um, I do want to get your thoughts on Ferrari, though, because I know they had, and we'll get into this when we get into the funny happenings, a lot of funny radio messages and, like, a lot of confusion. They didn't, you know, I texted you during the race. It just seems like they have no idea what they're doing, and they're, like, trying to, like, put it on their drivers now, so. Yeah, you would think, and we were hoping that they would go off over the summer break and, you know, just get their act together and, uh, it didn't 
really seem like they did this weekend. We started even to see that in quali when they put the wrong tires on on Charles and then come on to their radio and say, "Hey, sorry, it was a mistake." And they, you know, kind of compromised his quali strategy there by putting yeah. him on on the new tires first. But even beyond that, obviously in the race it was, you know, they started off on the softs and signs and, you know, probably wasn't going to work with the with the temperatures and everything and obviously almost the entire rest of the grid knew that um and then we look into you know later on in the race and some of the like there wasn't a very clear strategy bungle i don't think but there was just no clear strategy exactly yeah Yeah. and and we saw them go into you know strategy g or whatever it was with with charles after asking him you know 300 questions that all sounded like more confusion than questions so uh yeah we'll get into that again later like he's like alex said but um i think just not a clean weekend when they really just need a clean weekend it's felt like the past you know four or five races it's just been if not a major mistake then a couple of minor mistakes and they're really starting to throw away points at this point yeah and to me it feels like it's been since i don't know miami since they've had a race where they've capitalized like the max they could like obviously they weren't well yeah just clean like they weren't gonna win this weekend on pace but like they very easily and probably should have had a three four yeah so like you know what what is going wrong that they're not having this or like even with the you know if there was five or six more races or laps in that race signs is probably getting passed by russell for the podium yeah like you know just they need a clear direction i think and it just seems like everyone's confused but um, that'll be a new segment going forward for us is discussing the Latifi performance of the week, which will probably be mostly Latifi and mostly Ferrari. Yeah, I think a very appropriate start to to the new segment there yeah. and something that we've had trends of in the prior uh, half of the season, and I am I have no doubts that that'll stay the same for the rest of oh, the yeah. season. Um, so before we get into our predictions, I guess just a couple of thoughts on the track um, in terms of this weekend. Obviously, a few changes made for those of you that don't know, kind of the structure, and then mostly with adding some new gravel traps in and um, I know there was a slight, I think there was a slight change to Eau Rouge in terms of like how it actually flows. It's still flat out, but I think there was a slight change some to that of the too. Safety, and right, and yeah. some of the different safety pieces of the track just to make it safer. Um, cause there have been quite a few crashes here in the past and a couple of deadly ones as we know too, in the past here as well. But yeah, I mean, we, we call this track such a historic track and something that a lot of people don't want to see leave the calendar. And even you know you think back three years and the history alone that this track provides in that time frame is is kind of remarkable and yeah I think it would be you know a shame to see this track leave we've had such action-packed races the past few years you know we see Charles winning uh we see you know George putting it p2 this this was a, a p14 max to p1 you know just just really solid racing and the ability for the track to be both a really good quality quality track and a really good racetrack with the ability to overtake, I think kind of stands out on the calendar as, as just a, a, a really solid track. And then, yeah, like you mentioned that some of the changes, so the gravel traps, I think were a great addition. I know around turn one, we've historically seen, you know, five, six cars. It looks like a NASCAR supercar series. Yeah. And it, it's something that we've talked about a lot recently with track limits. And so I think, the gravel is kind of that step that people have been asking for. Like, why are you even giving them the option to go, to go off wide? Track? Yeah, make them just, it should beach them if they go wide. Yeah, and it's like, that's the the draw to street tracks too, is there's a wall there. You, you yeah, can't, you go, can't wide go wide if you want yeah. to. So I, I think the gravel tracks 
uh, gravel traps offer a lot in terms of uh, just better racing. And then, you know, we saw with Latifi going into the gravel and Stroll going into the gravel, there's just a little more drama and potential for chaos, which makes, you know, we want to see it safe. And I think it is safe still. Um, but, but also the potential for just a kind of a mix up in the race when you put a foot wrong rather than just being more track. And then you just have to get back on the track and then people are kind of concerned with, Oh, did you gain time doing that? Yeah, exactly. And that kind of thing. So I I think a great addition and, um, yeah, again, safety to, uh, up towards Radion. I think the barriers were moved a little bit further out. So, uh, thankfully we didn't have to see that those barriers in action. Uh, I think there was one, one time when Stroll was going in, trying to go too wide and then pulled out, but yeah, with Ricardo. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, we definitely usually have like obviously we had the Antoine Hubert crash a couple of years ago there in F two and mm-hmm. uh, last year there was a big crash in the W series with like six or seven cars. You had Lando with the big crash Lando, in qualifying yeah. last year, but um, so it's good they've done that. And then you know other good news around the track, uh, they announced that it is going to stay for next year at least while they kind of figure out the contracts and stuff for going forward. Yeah, I know it's widely regarded as, as a lot of people's favorites and. Within the paddock itself, most people want it to stay. Mm-hmm. I think it should stay. It's historic. It's, you know, you you have my quote in here. I, I think it's just a great track. I think it's good. But, like, um, it, it is a great track. Like, there's always – you look back at the past races, and, you know, obviously we didn't have one last year, but, like, I feel like it's always a great race. Mm-hmm. There's always good action. It's high speed. You get a lot of elevation changes. Um, you know, strategy plays a key role. And, like, it's just, like, a beautiful area, too. Right? Like, just, like, in the mountains, in the hills. Like, you know, the I think they do a great job of, like, and this is, like, kind of underrated part of tracks. It's, like, how the fans are placed. Because, like, e- yeah. every shot you see fans pretty yeah. much. Like, in the in the forest. In the forest and everything. and everything. And, like, you have such iconic, you know, turns. Like, you have a or series of turns and straights. Like, you have Eau Rouge, you have Puan, you have all these great things. And, like, the bus stop. Like, yeah. there's just so many great parts to it. And, I just think it's a well-made racing track and like it's something that should stay on the calendar. Yeah, I think it deserves to stay on the calendar as well. I don't know what are your thoughts on that. So, uh, you know, the president of F1 has been talking about how it needs to be a money-making business still and so yeah. they're talking a lot about that, but at the same time they're paying cities to go to to different places. So, yeah. I don't know what are your thoughts on kind of track formation? How many races is too many in a season or Yeah. Thoughts on something like I that? I think uh, and so I think Ricardo had a good point this week. Um, he basically said, he's like, if you're going to make it 22, you need to just make the season longer. Like, so there's more breaks in between and not have these like triple headers. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I, and I kind of agree with him too. Like if we look at the past, I think 18, 19 is kind of that sweet spot mm-hmm. where I think it's fun as a fan. And I think it's, you know, if, if they're close in proximity, like doing the double headers and having back to back weeks. But, you know, if you look at, the way it's structured now, they end at the end of November. You know, you give them December, January, February off into testing. That leaves nine months of the year. If you have 18 races, so that 18, 19 races basically comes out to every other week having a race. Yeah. Which, like, as a fan, what I want, would it be sick to have 52 races a year and have one every weekend? Yeah, I would still watch 52 races every year. Yeah. But, like, it's, I think for the teams themselves and for the quality of the sport and everything, I feel like having it where it comes out to basically every other weekend and, like, maybe some double headers. Yeah, it's kind of the good structure. I don't know what your thoughts are, though. Well, while you were mentioning that, it does make me question, like, in regards to the cost cap and then extending the amount of races, is that 
kind of taking away some from performance if they're focused on logistics so much so True. often True. you know moving from track to track is a huge feat with you know 10 races in the year let alone 22 so i i think there's definitely a question there and you know a lot of a lot of people have been talking about it and uh, more specifically about which tracks they want to go to and i think you know expanding internationally you know further obviously almost every race is in a new country but yeah uh outside of europe a little more is very good for the sport but yeah. then it also kind of i mean there's so much time between there that they have to figure out logistics, uh, logistics for yeah that it just kind of hampers yeah. their ability to focus on racing i guess yeah i feel like if you take if i mean that's obviously that's being considered it just in terms of like watching i think like a structure they could do and like my idea always was is you lock in there's it's kind of like like when you have a schedule for like a football team like your conference games like you lock in these are the nine tracks we're gonna do every year right so your classic silverstone spa you know like those brazil like the ones that are like always good races always like good action and stuff like Mm -hmm. uh everyone knows consistent like have those every year and then rotate between another you know nine or ten that you change every year right that or somewhat change, right? Like, they might have a couple years in a row, but, like, it's, like, a constant rotating, like, you know, out-of-conference schedule, basically, like, yeah. you have in football. Have, like, a pool. Like, a pool, basically, uh, yeah. yeah, where you pick from, right? And so, to make sure you're visiting other areas of the world and, like, you're not just doing the same ones every single year. So, like, I, I do think we're starting to more to move towards that with, you know, adding Miami, you add Vegas next year, like... Yeah, we say all this as they're adding three American Well, races. yeah, but <laughs> I think the argument for the American race thing, too, and it was an interesting point I read on Twitter, like, a thread from a guy who's like an F1-based journalist or something, like, in Europe. Yeah. And his, his argument's like, if you think about how big America is, like, mm-hmm. you take America and you just slap it, it's like the entire Europe, basically. Like, you know, if you just slap it over on top of, like, mainland Europe. Yeah. Basically covers it. So he's like, if we have a race in, uh, we don't right now, but if we had a race in Germany and a race in Belgium or a race in France and Belgium, yeah. why can we not have one in Miami and Vegas? Like, they're on the other side of the country. It's the yeah. same distance between the two. So... I do think at a certain point you reach too many. Like if they were like, yeah, we're going to have six races in the U.S., I'd be like, all right, do we need six races yeah. in the U.S.? But I think like introducing a new places and then bringing back some of the ones like we've talked about, like Kyle Lamy, like yeah. bringing back some of the ones that people like. I think Malaise is another one that people want back. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the other thing to think about is we have no races in Africa. We have yeah. one race in South America, and then there's, you know, three in America, one in Canada, one in Mexico, and then yeah. – a whole bunch in Europe. So yeah, I think maybe branching out a little bit more would be good, but um, yeah, it does beg the question of, of how are we getting there and, and what kind of focus does that take off of racing? But yeah. I think we should go ahead and get into our predictions. I know we mentioned them a little bit earlier, but I'll start with my pre-quality predictions. And uh, I had two, one of them was a little bit vague, but I think I kind of nailed it pretty it was well. it was accurate yes so my first one was the wildest quality lineup that we've had this season and you know even without the penalties i think seeing you know alonzo and the alpines up really competitively Above the Mercs, against yeah. the mercedes and then obviously albon into q3 is was pretty interesting and then you know obviously past that we had both uh, aston martins in the top 10 after the penalties and uh, just a really big shakeup. Obviously, had the the two top guys down near the bottom of the of the grid. So, I think I hit on that one. And then my other one was signs getting pole, which um, with the penalties also occurred. So, yeah, uh, pretty pretty good pre quality yeah. predictions there. I know yours were 
Steelers were also pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too too far off. So, I, you know, McLaren's in the top 10. Obviously, Orlando wouldn't have started there, but he was easily into the top 10 in terms of qualifying pace. And mm-hmm. obviously, he didn't do his last lap at the end and finished in P10. But I think if he wouldn't have had the penalty, it, it was kind of tough to see because I think he could have been in that, in that battle for good points and probably would have put it somewhere in the middle of the – in the top 10 there based, yeah. based on paces again yeah. ricardo finished uh he started in p7 but he finished in i think p11 which mm-hmm. that was tough to see because we we talked about it but you know after everything that was has gone on this past week and we'll kind of get into that too but um i thought he'd have a good performance and i thought he you know he got a toe from lando to try to get into q3 too and you know on lando's t- lando telling ricardo went faster than ricardo being towed by lando yeah which is a wild thing to see but so I had both McLaren's top ten, so I guess it was kind of close there. And then Lewis top three. I, you know, on pure pace, he wasn't going to qualify top three. But I just thought, like after the penalties and stuff, like he'd put it high enough up to be, like starting the race in top three. He started in fourth, but yeah, um, they were lacking a bit, a bit of pace this week. Yeah, they looked like I mean, and and then Lewis had that quote on Saturday. Where he's like, I think it's time we need to just like focus on like what, like play around with this year's car basically to like focus on next year's car because. Yeah. I think they ex- thought, okay, if we can bring these upgrades and start being a race-winning car, like we can battle for P2 still and battle. But at this point, it's like, what what are we going to gain from this? And they know off of the recent races that they have the pace in the car. They just yeah. kind of have to figure out how to extract it. So, yeah, we'll definitely be interesting to see where they go. But um, you want to get into your race predictions? Yeah, so piggybacking off of, you know, talking about Lewis, I had, uh, for my top three, I had Max winning, Signs in second, uh, and Lewis in third. I just thought, um, and this kind of goes along with my prediction, but I thought one of the Ferraris or Red Bulls, one of the top teams would basically DNF because of some drama that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I thought Max was going to win. I just knew just how quick he was in qualifying. I just didn't see how anyone was going to beat him. But I thought, okay, either Perez or, uh, Carlo, or Carlos or Charles, one of them is going to end up, you know, DNFing somehow, and then Lewis would be there to pick up the pieces, which yeah. – had he not had the incident with Alonso, he, or he might have been there to pick Probably, up the pieces. Yeah. But uh, so I had, yeah, Max, Max signs and Lewis, and then for my actual race predictions, one of the Ferraris or Red Bulls DNFing, and then Danny Rick in the points. I just thought again he was in seventh. Um, the McLaren car didn't look bad this weekend. I thought, okay, I hope it, uh, you know, he might fall back a little, but he'll be at least, at least P10. And for a while he was in the points, and then he just completely fell off on pace and then finished 15th. So just a really rough weekend from Ricardo. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, that 15th was in a train right behind yeah. the 10th place guy. So not as far off as 15th sounds, but, uh, yeah, still not a great weekend from him. I had as my top three Perez, Max, and Carlos Sainz. And, uh, obviously, Big Red Bull guy. Well, I mean, after the quali <laughs> and after some free practice sessions, yeah. it seemed like they would run away with it easy. I was not expecting Max to get through the field as quick as he did. It seemed like, you know, it was almost two laps, it seemed like, and he was just out. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we just knew, like, as soon as he got up to, like, eighth in, like, a lap, I was like, there's no way he's not Mm going to win. He's so much faster than everybody on the track. And walking past other cars on his way up from there. Yeah. It was very impressive. And then Carlos Sainz, you know, coming home in third was was pretty solid. And then I went with Albon points, which, obviously, he was able to, to come home in tenth and uh, like we said, very close there from the 10 to 15 kind of mark there. So yeah. was able to hold them off to, to pull that point home. And then I also had no Aston points. And I think, you know, I was kind of close on that. They they did start to fall back, but Vettel had such a good start running up yeah. in fifth and uh, was able to come home in eighth. And I think he was just, you know, driving the wheels off of that thing. Yeah. So 
a good weekend for him. But, you know, let's move into some paddock rumors and, and some of our off-track happenings. I know there was, there was quite a few because we had such a, a drama-filled summer break. And, you know, we had our episode not too long ago where we went over a, a decent chunk of yeah. the things that happened. And so these, these are going to be the things that happened since that episode. So go check that out if you missed that. But I guess the biggest one coming into this weekend was McLaren and Daniel Ricciardo splitting after the end of the season. So what were your thoughts on that? I know you're a big McLaren guy. So. Yeah, I mean, I you know, Ricardo's obviously I've talked about this. Lando's my favorite driver. Ricardo's probably my second favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, just a great personality and just always enjoyed watching him. But I think we kind of all saw this coming um, yeah. just based on the rumors and stuff. And I'm, I'm going to be sad to see him go. But in terms of performance, like they need to get someone who can equal Lando or try to at least get close to him. And Ricardo hasn't even been close. He's took a step even further back this year than he was last year. Yeah. Um, just has nowhere near the same pace. Is always – I mean, it's getting bigger, but it's like a half second at least in qualifying between them always. Um, and this, so I think it was – I think we were due for it, and I think it's good they just announced it so that like, he had the chance to go and look other places and, like, figure out what he's going to do. Yeah, I think initially when we heard of kind of the rumblings of this happening, we thought that McLaren and him wouldn't really announce anything until he had something secured. Yeah. And it really doesn't seem like that. And, you know, no. he, he posted a video online and uh, really looked kind of gutted from it. But yeah, more a, more of an understanding. understanding yeah, it just never worked sense. out. So, yeah, unfortunate for him. But, you know, I, I think with a driver – and it's not to say Daniel Ricciardo is not a good driver. He's yeah. just not meshing well with the car. Yeah. And if the if the McLaren team had a second driver there that was putting in decent points, you know, even being just closer to to Norris, this P four fight wouldn't even be a thing right now because I think they would have. No, they'd be clear to... of if if you had someone even close to Norris, right? And so let's say you have someone. If they had one of the out, other Alpine drivers basically the driver, they'd be thirty forty points clear of Alpine, Alpine yeah. and it wouldn't even be a discussion. But that's been the issue all years. We haven't had that balance within the McLaren team. Um, but speaking of the driver that is probably going to pro- probably going to take his place, yeah, Oscar Piastri. Um, we know the court case is tomorrow. Well, Monday, I guess, because we're dropping this will be. You'll be hearing this on Tuesday. So on yesterday, the court case would have been, or when it starts to decide if Piastri can get out of his contract or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I think they wouldn't have announced this whole Ricardo thing and gone this far with it if their lawyers didn't think they'd be able to get him out of it. But it would be interesting to see if he can't get out of it because then he probably does drive for Alpine next year, and then who fills that McLaren seat? You know, it sounded interesting right after the, the whole fallout happened. I think Alpine came out, uh, it, this was more recently, but came out about it and said that they were feeling really good about where their side lies. But then everything that we heard from Piastri's side sounded like it was, you know, no question. So I think it'll be a very interesting discussion. Um, either way, I don't think he races for Alpine because at this That's point, true. I think Alpine feels so disrespected by both Alonso and him yeah. that to maybe come out and win this court case and, and prove that they were on the right side of things and then, you know, say, well you know, you ruined your reputation to us. We don't want you on our team. I think that's a fair thing for them to say and kind of a step in repairing their kind of public image after all of this fallout. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I still don't think he'll end up driving for them. I think it, it he'll end up probably with McLaren after that. Yeah. Um, Daniel Ricardo split. So 
a lot of a lot of rumors there and i mean we can go further and talk about the the rumors of herda to alfatori and yeah potentially gasly or mick to alpine after that seat opens yeah it up. was a uh it was an eventful weekend for alfatori you know you had liam lawson doing fp1 yep. which i know we've discussed and brought up his name as you know maybe a potential person that could take that seat at some point in the future um we talked about in our podcast last week that we don't think you know Sonoda's going to keep that spot so if Gasly goes to Alpine which those rumors seem to be gaining a lot of traction um and like almost logically it makes sense right it's a step up from Alfa for him it's a French team it'd be an all French team like in the post-race show they interviewed him and yes oh yeah he didn't outright deny it yeah he uh, Rosanna and Stoffel Van Dorn had brought up the point that they had heard that 14 drivers were in the mix for that Alpine seat. And Gasly, they asked what his reaction to that was and, and if he was one of those drivers. And he looked at them and said, you tell me. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, he definitely is like knows stuff that obviously that we don't know. So, yeah. But that's definitely gained some traction this week. Uh, there was a little rumor of Mick to Alpine too, but I feel like that's probably less likely than Gasly. Yeah. Um, to Alpine and then... The biggest one that dropped this week was Colton Herita to Alpha Tori. So I guess Helmut Marco is like interested in bringing him in. Um, so I think what will be really interesting to see is if Gasly does go to Alpine and Piastri goes to McLaren and they decide to drop Sonoda too, then you could have a whole new Alpha Tori team next year. Like let's say they bring in Colton Herita. Like who else do they bring in? Like do they bring someone else up? Does does Haas give up on Mick and Ricardo goes to Haas and Mick goes to AlphaTauri? I think does Ricardo go to AlphaTauri? That's what I because think. Because I think that's a very real possibility now, too, if both those seats open up. Um, I think if only one opens, I think it we do see someone like Herta or Iwasa or Dragovic, like we've talked about, take it. But if both open, he has that connection to Red Bull already, and he knows him and stuff, like why not bring him back? I think, it's, I think it's hilarious to think about Helmut Marco sitting in this offseason and being like, I'm not in the news. What's up with that? I want to start some drama. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll go take Colton Herta from McLaren since, yeah. since they're winning this battle right now. Yeah. I think that's pretty funny. But, you know, I think there's there's such a web of opportunities in the driver market right now. And it's kind of crazy because usually it's, it's pretty well wrapped up throughout yeah. the summer break. So it'll be interesting to see. I think after this Piastri court case comes out and what Alpine and Piastri decide to do with that, I think the dominoes will start to fall and we'll start yeah. to see those those driver market I agree. settle themselves. But outside of that, we got a couple of new announcements within Formula One. And the first one, the big one, I think, being Audi to join the sport in 2026. And kind of an interesting take from them. You know, they're, they're going to join as an engine, engine manufacturer, but... Uh, released a car and a lot of hype around it and so you know i think and a lot of people think that there's a little bit more to that potentially joining forces with another team trying to buy out a team you know we'll see where that goes but um, a lot of hype around that and i think really good for the sport and yeah with that we also had alfa romeo announcing that they're gonna leave sauber at the end of next year which which seems a little early which is interesting yeah but then there's rumors of alfa romeo joining teams with haas so if you don't know, Alfa Romeo isn't actually, you know... A, a team, per se. It's, yeah. it's Sauber, and They're, then Alfa Romeo is like the branding, basically, for kind of Just a title Sauber, sponsor. Like a title kind of sponsor. Thing. So, you know, I could see them teaming up with Haas, and it, it, I think it is interesting to think about Haas as a team. It's like, you know, Gene Haas, just this one dude that just yeah. is funding a team, but... You have a lot more money now with bringing in 
Alfa yeah. Romeo the sponsor and could probably make a better car if you combine yeah. the two teams. And it's not so much like a, a Lawrence Stroll kind of deal where he's yeah. like bought a company to do it. It seems like Gene is just like, yeah, here's a bunch here's of, a money, bunch of money, money to just go run a team, which yeah. is kind of cool. But uh, we'll see where that goes. And a lot of hype around the next couple of years. I know we've talked about the rumor of Williams potentially selling. We have uh, shout out Disney guy. Yeah, we have Porsche coming in potentially. A lot of pretty big rumors that they're confirmed to to join Red Bull forces. Yeah, and, um, I think and, just and a Andretti. lot of Andretti as well. One, yeah, a lot of interest in the sport. So uh, it'll be fun to to keep an eye on that. Yeah, so. I think it'll be interesting to see like how how big they go with it, right? Like ten fuels right right now. Mm-hmm. I know they've had more in the past, but you know I could see. I think you could validate having. 12 teams like i think you could if there's that much interest and it brings that much money in like what's a couple more cars in the grid like i don't know yeah i mean you you look at other formulas and how just regular i mean you look at indy car and how many teams are in indy car and and it's pretty impressive but um yeah it'll be interesting to see where the sport decides to go with that i know there's been talks already this year about allowing another team and it doesn't seem like any of the teams want to let that happen so yeah you know tbd and we'll obviously keep an eye on that and keep you guys informed yeah um, so I guess going into our funny happenings now to kind of wrap up the show here. Uh, the first one was after that first lap incident between Hamilton and Alonso. Uh, I guess Alonso, as so you didn't see Hamilton had to take this weird gravel road all the way back to the pits and like no one drove him, which was yeah. very funny in itself to see. There's a lot of good memes that came out of that of him walking back. But um, Alonso basically, when he got back around the track, like flipped him off from his car and then made the comment on the radio, like this guy only knows how to drive like, when he's in front or in the lead, which I thought was hilarious. You guys know my thoughts on Trollanto. Like, I thought that was a hilarious comment to make because, like, if those of you that don't know, like, these two were on the same team at one point for a year, and Alonso yep. was off back-to-back world championships. Hamilton was a rookie, and Hamilton outperformed Alonso, yep. and they weren't in a front-running car. Like, they were in, like, a – they were out there, like, winning race and stuff, but it wasn't like he was in, like, the Merc that he had from 2014 to 2020. And – so I thought that was a hilarious comment from Alonzo on the radio, but yeah, it, it was very on brand for Alonzo. Oh yeah, it almost seems like recently he's just totally accepted the villain. Not, oh yeah, not necessarily recently, but he's you know fallen. I think right he's embraced it. it. I yeah. think he's embraced it. I think he had it like if you go back to like 2012, like when he had that kind of little bit of rivalry with Vettel. Yeah, but like I think he kind of went off and he went to like this nice guy thing and everybody loves him. But like now I feel like there's generally like people that like don't like him now like they just annoy him and like yeah he's fully embraced to like flip people off while you're driving like make ridiculous outlandish comments when someone runs into you like yeah and and you know he was you know eating popcorn in the in the driver press conferences and you yeah. know had some pretty funny uh funny takes while he was in oh, there yeah. just talking about trying to trying to tiptoe the line between aston martin's gonna absolutely dominate alpine next year but alpine's gonna win out the season really well kind of thing yeah so, pretty funny from him i guess we'll go into the next one and you know we mentioned it earlier the ferrari radio calls and just kind of the team vibe that that seems to be portrayed right now is oh, very yeah. interesting i i know i texted you throughout the race and i was like the radio messages to charles seem like they're trying to prove to him that they're not wrong yeah like they they came on and they were like high degradation uh soft tires aren't really working also it's the same for every team like it sounded like yeah, really were... obvious stuff that like yeah and i think too like just 
some of the way they asked them the questions, right? Like they would basically like tell them what they were doing, but then be like, question? Like, yeah. like, is that okay? Like, I know you text me, like, can you try to win the race? Question. Yeah. Like, they were basically like conf- almost like trying to like, if it didn't work, then they could like blame him. Be like, well, we asked you on the radio and this yeah. is what you wanted to do. So I, they, every week they continue to get funnier and funnier, but it's, it's just an yeah. interesting kind of relationship between them and their drivers. It feels like at this point, they're trying to prove to their drivers that they're like a real team and yeah. like know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and then Matteo Bonato on the post race show talking about, you know, he was asked about what these messages were and he was basically like, well, we just want more clarification and transparency between the team and the drivers. And it, it seems like the drivers are almost like a different entity that they're trying to like reel back in to buy into their team because, you know, they're losing so many points because of the team. And it's just a very interesting relationship, but pretty hilarious messages this week yeah it's 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 giving me vibes of i don't know how to describe it it's like they're like know they've messed up so much and now they feel bad yeah so it's like like if you're in like a relationship and like yesterday person like are you mad at me it's like that type of thing it's like that's what they were doing with the queer today it's basically like question like is that okay like are you yeah. sure but they yeah i i it'll be interesting to see if they fix that going forward they continued to mess up this weekend it wasn't as bad but yeah i, I don't know if interesting to see um, another thing that we, I know you have certain thoughts on, but they, so for those of you that watch, and I'm sure they did it on the regular broadcast some too. I know, uh, Brundle sometimes uses it, but, uh, in the F1 live broadcast, they could not stop calling the Williams car slippery every time that thing would get in the straights. And yes, it was fast in the straights, but they just kept, they never changed like how they described it. They would just every lap be like, "Man, yeah. that Williams is so slippery." Yeah, they didn't they didn't define what they meant by slippery at yeah. all. You know, it was like they have really good straight line speed. That's like awesome. But like, why not just say it's a very power like fast in a straight line car? Or like, use the use the rocket ship one. That's a classic. Like yeah. saying it's a rocket ship on the straight. But like slippery, I feel like I, I knew what they were meaning by it. But like, not everybody might know like what they're going for slippery. And like, that could also mean like quick through the corners and like agile. Like that could be the opposite of or like, like awful through corners. or awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, so they, they, but anyways, those of you that didn't watch F1 live when they just, I don't know how many times our boy Tom said the word slippery, but it was a ridiculous amount. Yeah. It was, it was a little bit aggressive. And then our next one is the jetpack dude or whatever you call whatever he was riding on. But that was just something else to see him flying above the, that was so above funny. the track. That was so funny. I think that was one of those ones where it's like you're glad someone caught that and like put it on there and then it just became a meme all weekend. Like, yeah. oh, are they going to have the jetpack guy like be the new cameraman from above? Like, yeah. instead of the drone, like they should have the jetpack guy do a lap around and see how he compares on speed. To, like, he other. was holding the like track trophy yeah. or whatever it was and riding around showing, yeah. showing everybody. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, and what might have been for me at least one of the funniest moments of the weekend. Obviously, all the off-track drama with Piastri and Alpine in the last month. Uh, so <laughs> Alpine decided they normally every race have brought Piastri in the garage with them. We've seen Piastri a ton at the different races. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now we're not going to. So they bring out good old Jack Duon for the race, <laughs> and F1 Alpine must have paid F1 TV to to broadcast like oh yeah we don't we don't care about oscar anymore like we have our guy jack now like yeah they showed jack duhan 17 times during yeah. the broadcast like they just kept showing him 
kept pointing to him. They really made sure to emphasize, like, this is the new – or, like, it would say, like, Jack Duan, like, Alpine reserve driver. Yeah, like, yeah. they really made a big deal out of it. And nothing against Jack Duan. He's had a great little run in F2 this year, and is I think he's a rookie this year and has done a great job. But mm-hmm. it, is, it was very comical, like, how big of a deal – like Alpine and F1 TV made about this. Like Piastri's not here. Like it's Duhan now. Yeah, they did the same thing with Jordan King, which he was in the commentary yeah. booth, and then <laughs> he ended up doing some analysis on some of the crashes. But they would go to him and be like, "Here's another, you know, F1 Alpine reserve driver." And it's just like compared to Piastri, these guys are nowhere. Yeah, you're not you're not getting me out. Like you're not getting anything out of showing that. Like that. It's just. It's not gonna. It just makes you look funny. It just makes you look yeah. like you're trying to like be like I'm. I'm over my ex now. Like I yeah. don't. We don't need Pash anymore. Like Jack Duhans our guy now. Yeah, they're in a definite phase of trying to rebuild their brand. Yeah. So interesting to see where that goes. But any final thoughts on the weekend as a whole or the race? And I I just think it was a great. I think it was a great weekend at Spa. I think it lived up to its expectations. We had some you know a major first lap incident which we haven't had a ton of this year and kind of drama throughout that whole first couple of laps yeah especially the different tire strategies and i think the the high deg was i it's awesome for the fans when that happens because i don't think the teams expect it and the more pit stops the better because the more drama that's gonna ensue because of that yeah and we also get to see more guys from the back trying to overtake trying to get back through the front yeah you know between starting lower with penalties and then also just pitting more and having to make their way through some some traffic i think kind of spices up the race and and that was a lot of fun to see a lot of overtakes this weekend which yeah which is good yeah and i think it was the other nice thing about spas it's such a big track it's yes yeah, so cu- some people got lapped but you don't have a ton of people getting lapped yeah and so you don't have that like drama of like oh like this you know the f- guy in first place got screwed because he got a traffic in a bad area mm-hmm. like it just kept it clean all the time but anyways we uh we move on to zanvort next week yeah i think it's you know initial thoughts on the track like it's t- obviously tough to pass yeah. Very technical. Um, going to be a big weekend for Max with it being the Orange Army and being in the Netherlands. But Definitely. I think it's a really cool track. I think it's like the way it's set up, you had that like insanely banked turn, like turn three or four or whatever it is, Yeah, which is cool. And I, I think it is a really neat track. I think it could be potentially somewhat of a boring race depending on how qualifying shakes out. Um, That's fair. I think it'd be interesting to see like how Red Bull versus uh, Red Bull seem to be so quick in a straight line, and Ferrari have tended to be better in the corners and stuff. Do they perform a little better there? Do they close that gap back up? You know, if if Ferrari can qualify one two, and not butcher the strategy, it is a very tough pass track to pass that. So like, could they hold them off then? Yeah. Um, but my gut just says it's just I, I'm gonna. My gut says we're gonna be at the end of the race next weekend. You're gonna look at the telemetry like the board on the side and it's gonna say like ver in first and then it's gonna be per in second but it's gonna be like plus 35 seconds yeah and then you're gonna see him cross the line and then that's that'll be the last of the race you'll see because it'll just be orange smoke yep everywhere that's yep. that's what i picture in my head right now is it gets to whatever the lap last lap is and we see max cross the line but nobody else and it's just a bunch of orange smoke yeah i'm thinking maybe a, a black and white setting on my tv for this weekend might be uh might be yeah. a move. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one for, for the drivers. And I know there's been some conversation about the, the smoke bombs that they're yeah. putting off, and we'll see if any. I mean, I think they're – I just think it's kind of like – if I was a fan, I'd be so annoyed. And I know a lot of them yeah. – I know a lot of even the Max fans themselves. I know at Austria, yeah. a lot of them came on Twitter complaining and be like, look, I love Max. So like, I can't see the – like, I paid all this money for this ticket, and I yeah. can't see the race. 
Um, and I know there's been a lot of problems with the Max fans in terms of just like abuse and like other things like at the at, at the, the tracks track. in yeah. terms of like off the track drama and stuff. So I do think it'll be interesting to see. But I know that it's it feels like almost and we get a little bit of it at Silverstone because like the driver, a lot of British drivers. But it, it almost feels like the only track where it's like it's like a home field advantage, like in yeah. the sport, like. You have so many fans on one driver's side that, like, you don't really get that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And then, obviously, we have the Piastri stuff that'll be hopefully coming out yeah. this week. And uh, we'll get to touch on that. So, excited to, to bring some more content to you next week. And hope you enjoyed today's episode. See you in Zanvoort. Goodbye. <laughs>